Welcome to the ENA Podcast. This is the ENA Podcast, and I'm Dan Campana, the Director of Communications with the Emergency Nurses Association, welcoming you back to our second to the last episode for 2021. And uh, it's board week here at ENA headquarters. So I had to take advantage of the fact that we've got two history makers here in the building with us. Our two, our first international board member ever and our soon to be second international board member. We've got you Brewer and Vanessa Gorman here with us at ENA headquarters. It's a little early in the States today. You've taken pictures, but you're here for the podcast. Welcome, Vanessa. Welcome, you. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. So, ENA is expanding globally. Yeah. I mean, that's been a priority for the last few years, and we hear a lot about it from an education standpoint. But from a leadership standpoint, Yup, we'll start with you. You were our first international board mm-hmm. member, and you're heading into your second term here coming up in 2022. What does it mean to you to be able to represent your country to ENA, but also ENA to your country, the Netherlands? Well, I would take it in a broader perspective. I think I'm more for a European representative because uh, the European Union is sort of a big entity back home, which controls a lot of the legislation and things like that. So I tend to think myself as a European, but it's great because when you look at ENA, it's by far the, the biggest organization out out there in the world. We have so many members and it gives us a little bit of a responsibility as well, being the big, the, 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 by far the largest. You have to take responsibility and take the lead in expanding it. From the smile on your face is like, you've, you've absorbed all of this. You really enjoyed your opportunity yes. to do this. Even if you haven't been able to come here much, you know, yes. certainly in the last couple of years, but um, there's a pri- you've got a pride in this, you know, yes. being able to do this. I'm very proud to be an ENA member and even more proud to be an ENA board member because, well, I'm, this organization is all what I stand for, for compassion, and leadership, advocacy. That's what I think is important. Sure. Vanessa, 2022, you'll be our second international board member, but our first from Australia, obviously. Uh, I know you've played a lot of different roles you know, with ENA, but what does it mean to represent Australia and, you know, on the board, but also to represent ENA in your home country? Uh, I think I probably uh, agree with you that I probably take that broader sense that trying to bring some international representation. So obviously from Australia, I'm, you know, maybe I'm representing the Australasian region, um, but I think it's a really proud moment for both you and I to be able to actually stand here and, and help ENA go forward with a model that actually has us as one world and one community of emergency nurses um, and that we provide that international perspective on how we can continue to expand, um, whether it's through education or leadership opportunities. Um, I think, you know, I agree. It's, it's, a, it's a proud moment for me. And um, in Australia, there's been a sort of few uh, celebrations and, and write-ups about my achievement, um, which has kind of been very humbling to sort of think that people sure. would even know my name. Um, but yeah, look, it's it's a really proud moment. And I think it's um, like, I'm super excited for the future and um, and hopefully can represent all members well coming forward into 2022. And then, you know, looking forward to what the future holds. 
Yeah, that's very important for necessary because we are elected by all members, not by the international members. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not only representing the international members, but all ENA members. Here. And brought up a good point. When you run for the board, you represent everybody. There's always the challenge of getting people who want to volunteer and to get into the leadership pipeline. Mm -hmm. I would think that that challenge is even greater when you're thinking internationally because you may have, we have a lot of international members, but they may have a harder context of seeing, well, how do I get into leadership? Why should I get into leadership? What, Vanessa, being the more recent of the two, what got you over the hump to say, you know what, I can be an, a leader for ENA on this, this larger scale? For those that don't know, sort of my journey through ENA, I initially started out five years ago just applying for a volunteer group um, for the International Advisory Council. It, it sort of it felt like it met my own needs and my own professional development, but saw an opportunity of how I could contribute more globally to sure. that conversation for emergency nurses and really advocating um, for the needs. Um, so I sort of came up through the ranks through the IAC and most recently was the chair um, and again UP led the way through the IAC and, and I guess you know for, for anyone coming into leadership opportunities around uh, the coaching and mentorship that you can be personally offered and for me UP offered that coaching and inspiration to say actually yeah internationals can have a voice and we are considered an equal member, mm -hmm. even though this is a US-based company, you know, business as such. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I think that's... Yeah, yeah. You, you obviously, you've been with ENA a long time yeah. and, and mm -hmm. have seen the benefits of being a part of ENA yeah. for a long period of time. You know, Vanessa's, you know, offering a bit of a, you know, citing you as a bit of a mentor, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of being an international member who saw the path into yeah. this sort of leadership. Um, how often do you have conversations with international members, especially in the European region, quite, to say this is a big deal? Because, well, you know, ENA is uh, a part of use of the European Society of Emergency Nurses. And I'm, I'm pretty active there as well. And I always try to incorporate both both interests into in, into uh, policies and things like that. But the funny thing is, Vanessa told, told how she got in, and I got in because I was one of the first who took TNCC in the Netherlands, and I became an instructor. And then they were rewriting the book, I think it was the fifth edition or something, yeah. Well, as somebody is, uh, and I got contact with, with the then lead person there, that she said, well, can you write a chapter about emergency? And I said, I can. Um, and it's, she just sent me before for info the, a chapter about the TMP, the trauma nursing process. I said, well, that's not good because you, it's so uh, not worldwide centered, so American centered. And well, that's how the ball started rolling. <laughs> <laughs> and then Dina Brecher, the then ENA president, uh, started the International Advisory Council. And well, from a humble beginning, we the International Advisory Council. In, emerge into a, a great platform for members, for mm -hmm. international members as well. Yeah. And even as we now have non-international members taking part in the International Advisory Council, it's such a great group. Continuing to blend all yeah. of those together. Mm -hmm. uh, you hinted at something I wanted to ask about, which is, you know, ED nurses are unique inherently, you know, among the nursing world and in the healthcare world. But I know that there's got to be some uniqueness to being an emergency nurse in Australia, and, or and I, I believe you, you've said in the past that there are no emergency nurses in the Netherlands. It's just you practice in the emergency department, right? I mean, well, we have uh, an emergency nursing specialty, 
okay. it's different than the CEN or in the here in the in the in the US. I think the the biggest difference in the emergency nursing be what I can see from uh, a nurse perspective is the, the appreciation for the role of the nurse in the department. Okay. So is it greater where you're no, at, or it is isn't. it lesser? It is, and it's improving in the Netherlands. It's improving in the Netherlands. Uh, I think we nurses. Uh, well, I'm I'm quite, quite a bit older than you are, <laughs> just a bit. But when I when I started nursing, you could hear people say, "Oh, I'm not well, being asked. I'm not a doctor. I'm only a nurse." And I get so cross when people say, "I'm only a nurse," because we are not only nurses. We are nurses with our own specialty and our own set of skills, and we have our skills which are different than the medical profession, but they're equally important for a good patient care. Melissa, what about in Australia? I mean, is you know, what's the uniqueness, or is there a uniqueness in Australia when it comes to emergency nursing? I think when I talk to you know US-based friends and colleagues, um, things are very different in Australia. So we're very academically based from an emergency nursing perspective. So obviously, um, to to become a basic trained nurse, it's a three-year bachelor degree. That's where you start. Um, and then to transition into the emergency department, we all we normally offer a six-month sort of introduction to emergency nursing, and we teach you some basic emergency skills. You know those basic assessment skills, um, and and start teaching you a little bit of, of advanced practice. You know arterial gases or cardioversion, whatever it might be. But really, to to be classified as an emergency nurse, you have to complete a postgraduate um, certificate or diploma. Um, in emergency nursing as our specialty and only after you complete that can you do um, activities like triage or work in the resus room so you can't get there any other way if you don't complete this university degree so we are very academically based um, similar to Houston in the in Europe you know we have our College of Emergency Nursing Australasia which covers sort of you know Papua New Guinea and New Zealand um, and, and Australia and it's not a lot it's not a large group but it's growing but um, again it's strengthening the voice of emergency nurses um, in Australia we even a, you know a postgraduate emergency nurse would operate probably as an advanced clinician so we we triage we give out medication we can order x-rays we can order bloods um, you know we are all trained in advanced life support as our first certification of the postgraduate program um, so, you know, we can do sort of advanced life support skills and stuff like that. So um, I, I find it really rewarding to work in Australia because I find a lot of the junior medical staff, mm. absolutely, we train them, yeah. you know, as Bye. emergency nurses, we actually train them how to work in the emergency room. Yeah. Um, and, you know, quite, the amount of times I've taught interns how to do an arterial blood gas or, you know, this is the sequence for the cardio version for a conscious VT or, you know, whatever we might be doing. Um, yeah, so it, it's really interesting. So, yeah, it's probably a little bit different down there. Uh, what stands out to me in, in a few years back, uh, being a part of the international lunch at, uh, I think it was in Pittsburgh and Mercy yeah. Nursing 2018, to hear, you know, across the panel, and both of you were part of that panel, to hear, you know, the similarities, but also the uniqueness to it was very interesting to me as somebody who was relatively new to understanding emergency nursing at, at, as a yeah. totality at that point, but to also understand yeah. that there's a lot of common issues. It's just that things are a little, you know, how they're handled, the healthcare systems are different. Mm -hmm. You are navigating things that you bring back to the larger group to say, 
hey, we know what it's like to have issues with behavioral health patients, but here's how we manage it here. And I'm sure that opens a lot of eyes when you talk yeah. to people from the states about, well, this is how we manage this. I mean, is that, is that yeah, an accurate statement? I think one of the, the biggest benefits of ENA and its programs like TNCC is nurses worldwide speak the same language. I always tell the story when I was traveling to an ENA conference back in the airport in Atlanta in the jetway, somebody coded and there were a lot of nurses on the plane. And <laughs> just like an automatic. I said, you do the, the, the airway breathing circulation. And it was an ED physician said, you guys are doing a hell of a job. <laughs> Because everybody knew, right? They all started in the same learning point, right? That's one of the biggest achievements of ENA, getting TNCC, EMPC out there, I think. Yeah. Such a global program, it's amazing. Yeah, I think the ABCs, yeah. it does, it, it's exactly the same. It doesn't matter where, where, you are. where your feet are landing. ABC is ABC, yeah. and ABC of trauma management is the ABC of trauma management. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. So I think that, you know, that's something that I always try to sort of bring back you know like that's my home base the abcs of our nursing care yeah. do not change doesn't matter what language we speak or, or which country you're in, in the world. so i'd be remiss you know having you both here and knowing that this is the first time you've, you've been back in in almost two years yeah. you know vanessa you know traveling is traveling it's been difficult you know around the world the last couple of years of course i'm referring to covid and everything that that's done across the world in the states we get a, a certain level of perspective of what happens elsewhere in the world uh, you must start with you because I know we've heard some things, you know, on Zoom calls and board meetings in the past, you know, in, in media training mm -hmm. where you've offered a little bit of insight about what it's been like to manage, you know, whatever has happened in the Netherlands as it comes to COVID because we'll get bits and pieces about lockdowns and, yeah. you know, vaccine rollouts and, and mm -hmm. case numbers and death rates and things like that. But what's what are a couple of quick thoughts about what it's been like since the early part of 2020 as COVID has evolved throughout the world. But in the U.S., we have such a small view of what's really happened. Yeah, for me, emergency nurses has changed through COVID because being taking care of, of a suspected or a COVID patient, being ground up, masked up, it's such a, well, you, you, have, you have such a different level of interaction with your patient, you know. And that's what patients say. You only come here uh, for a short thing, then you're out because it's very busy. And one of the, the biggest challenges, I think, is, I don't know if it's in the state, in the uh, same in the States or in Australia, is the, the gap in society between the, the vaccinated people and the non-vaccinated people. I get attacked by, by people who think I'm really normal when I say, well, why didn't you get vaccinated? I don't, I don't judge them. I always ask, why aren't you, didn't you get the vaccine? I just want to know if a patient comes in, and he hasn't been vaccinated. I want to know why didn't you get vaccinated? I sometimes I nearly get attacked, and also being harassed on social media about that. And I think, tell how did we get so far? Yeah. So, so you're saying that the the gap in the percentages are, are pretty far apart between the yeah, it's only about well, we have a vaccination rate of eighty percent. Okay. I think it's not that bad, but. Well, the antibiotics are very strong. There's a lot of vocalness. Yeah, there's a lot of vocalness. Yeah. Which seems to be a worldwide issue because of social media and things like that. I think it's scary because I think it's one of the, the disadvantages of the influence of social media. Yeah. Vanessa, how about you? I mean, even Australia, we heard some success stories yeah. in, in, in your region, not just Australia, but in your region, we've heard success stories. But certainly there's still been issues and, and the ups and downs over the last two years. How do you sort of summarize what you've experienced? Uh, look, I think Australia's probably the, you know, we are, we literally did turn into the island at the bottom of the world mm -hmm. and we shut off. And I think, you know, there's good and bad to, 
side to both of those things. Um, what we probably saw through, you know, we're on wave three now in Australia and probably what I saw in the emergency department in wave one was everyone was really fearful. So we had, we didn't have vaccine. The numbers were pretty high in Australia. So, you know, just to remind everyone, our total population is around 25 million. So almost like the population of New York or Staten Island lives on the really big island down in Australia. So we don't have a large population. Um, and our healthcare system is a universal health system. So, you know, 90% of our hospitals live within our public health and everyone has free access to that health. So what we saw in wave one was that essentially everyone was fearful. So no one came near the ED. So our numbers plummeted. So some EDs were recording numbers that they'd never seen before in like 10, 15 years. Departments that were doing 350 cases a day all of a sudden dropped to like 170. Um, so everyone stayed away and stayed at home. Um, I, I live in Melbourne and um, I, I know there's been a lot of international media. We are the most locked down city in the world. I think we spent 327 days or something ridiculous like that in total lockdown where you were only allowed, to, only one person from your house was allowed to leave per day to go and get essential food or shopping items. And you were only allowed outside of your house to exercise when we were in hard lockdown for 30 minutes a day and then it got up to an hour. And then we've, we've come out of these lockdowns really slowly. But what we saw in wave two and when Delta hit, was the fear of people went away and the emergency departments got swamped and really overwhelmed with sick patients, but not sick patients necessarily from COVID because our numbers are still probably relatively low um, and our ICU occupancy rate remained pretty low, but all these people that had not had their routine care for their chronic conditions for 12 months they were now coming in with cardiac failure and acute renal, acute on chronic renal failure. So that's what's clogging up our, our emergency departments. And we're still seeing it now in wave three. Um, but, you know, I've been really lucky. I, I had an opportunity to work for our whole state department of health and, and look at system wide capacity. And, you know, one of the things that broke my heart, I saw people in the US crying out for PPE. That was never, ever a problem in the, in Australia. We had you know, abundance of PPE, um, even to the point that our Ford factories and our automotive industry started making face masks and sending them free to the hospitals. They didn't meet standards. We weren't allowed to use them. Oh. I tried to box up two to send to the US to um, one of the colleagues that I know in Texas. And the government actually put out a warning and said, if anyone from Australia is trying to send PPE to another country in the world, it was a $15,000 fine and potential imprisonment. We were not allowed to send our PPE anywhere else. And that was heartbreaking because I, I fly to One World, One Community, particularly for my emergency colleagues, and I wanted to help some way. I couldn't help. I wasn't allowed to get on a plane and come and help New York to, to nurse, but that was what I thought I could do to help with some PPE, but we were not going to use it. literally went in the rubbish bin. Um, yeah. Oh, so you, uh, PPE was such a big deal here. What, what did you experience? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like uh, factories make, will normally make like bicycles. They start making uh, PPE. And yeah. It's no, no problem at all. Yeah. We even have, it's a bit of a scandal came out last week because, well, you know, all the regulations, we had to throw away six million masks because they were over dates. Yeah. 
and that's exactly why I thought it would be good to, to kind of talk a little bit about what you guys have experienced because the, you know, you saw all the stories. I mean, I'm sure you get more that come from the U.S. to you to see what's happening than we see coming in. Yeah, we saw that those dreadful images of New York yeah. and the, 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 um, the, the freezing trucks outside the hospital. We never had that experience. We saw a lot of people die, but it's more gradual than that. Yeah. Yeah, and we, we probably haven't seen a lot of death. And for those that don't know, you know, in Australia, I, always, I joke and say we're a pretty compliant <laughs> bunch of Aussies. <laughs> we do what we're told a lot of the time. But I think it's because we trust in our government and our agencies, you know, around vaccination and the messaging. Um, we've got our anti-vaxxers, but they're pretty low in numbers and they don't have a huge voice in Australia. Um, we're, we're tracking... Um, we're probably tracking to be at about 93% fully vaccinated over the age of 12 in Australia. Um, and we will start vaccinating our 5 to 11-year-olds in January. Um, but again, we've had the benefit that we were, uh, we were able to watch what was going on in Europe and mm -hmm. in the USA and the Northern Hemisphere before we had to make decisions because we, we locked our little island down and we weren't letting the virus in as, as much as we could. But... Our neighbours in PNG, they're doing terribly. They've um, very much got a strong anti-vaccination, you know, voice there. And um, there's lots of people dying in PNG, and mm -hmm. um, and we're sending like our, you know, Australian, uh, we call them Ausmat teams. So we're sending sort of our uh, emergency teams over to PNG to try and help with the political disruption, try and send the vaccination message. I think that. They were saying something ridiculous, like they probably only track to about 12% fully vaccinated. And, and you're talking about people that live in really remote areas up in jungle mountains that it's really hard to get to. So I think now, more than ever, for countries that are well vaccinated, you know, that message from the WHO is we need to now vaccinate yes. developing countries. Yeah. That's, so that's our biggest risk to the world at the moment. The equity is, is something that has and been a conversation from the very beginning, yeah. including in the States, because uh, you know there are disparities in healthcare in the U.S. that are yeah. pretty you know stark at times, yeah. and making sure that there's equal distribution and opportunity mm -hmm. for it. Um, and you know you put all the other noise, and I'll just call it noise aside, about why people choose to do what they do and not. I mean, that's really, you guys aren't in the world of judging why no. people do things, as you mentioned earlier. You. Yeah. So it's about the overall health and community safety. And I think that's something that um, is common among every emergency nurse. That's what you yeah. want to serve your communities and help make sure people are are healthy and yeah. take care of them when they do come through. And it was interesting when Vanessa mentioned earlier, you know, about the numbers dropping, because that was a big thing that happened in the States. Obviously, people stayed away from the EDs because yeah. they were fearful. And, you know, and then to see those numbers come back, you know, is, you know, yeah. because now, you know, there was, you know, I, I would think in the States, I would say that there was some complacency, you know, a year ago in the summer. It's like, oh, we're getting through this and people let their guard down and wave two, wave three. Yeah, so. I want to see as well. I know it's true at the same in, in Australia. We see due to the uh, uh, strain COVID post on the healthcare system, a lot of like really uh, uh, urgent surgery got postponed, like cardiac surgery, oncological surgery, things like that. And we see those people coming in. Like we, uh, last week, we had a guy who was on the waiting list for a triple bypass for, for six months and he got postponed four times. So. <laughs> Yeah, we did the same thing. So, yeah, in our state, um, 
we essentially shut down all elective surgery. Um, so we were probably only operating at about 25% of our elective surgery, and that was for our Category 1 patients, so the, the CAGs and, and whatever else. But um, the government even went as far for the private hospital network. They shut them down as well and actually said, shut your hospitals down, don't do elective surgery, and, move, and we use them as our surge workforce. Okay. So we took all of the staff out of those hospitals and, and pulled them into the public health system. We actually used the private clinics to do smaller yeah. surgeons' care yeah. operations. Yeah. So it's interesting just to, to hear these perspectives and just to hear the two of you interact, you know, on, on these topics. Um, so my, my last question for each of you, and I'll start with you. Um, when you look at 2022 from an ENA perspective, from an emergency nursing perspective, what are some things that come to mind about what you are, want to see or expect to see or hope to see in 2022? Well, see, uh, our, our team for next year, nurses can recharge, we must say. <clears throat> There's been so much work for them uh, uh, over time and patient care is very hard on them. And a lot of colleagues leaving because they were burned out, they were exhausted. And we should focus on recharging the nursing workforce. It's so important. Vanessa, what about you for 2022? Yeah, I think um, I think ENA's got a great opportunity to provide that, le you know, the leadership um, worldwide around how we reinvigorate and recharge our emergency nursing workforce. Um, similarly, probably to you know the US and and in Europe, Australia, a lot of emergency nurses have found different jobs to do during a pandemic, um, and we now are. Uh, looking at critical nursing shortages um, to the point where we're just about to open the borders to let a thousand Irish nurses mm -hmm. come back in the country because we are so desperate for staff. So I think it's not, it's about the recharge and how we reinvigorate, but you know, what can we do to entice people that have got a lot of experience that left during the pandemic? How do we get them back again? How, how can we bring them back into the workforce and, and bring them back into our community and, um, and, get them doing great things again as and part of that is bringing up the next generation of emergency nurses so you know for those you know I've spoken at conferences and stuff I'm really passionate about nursing workforce and how we bring on that next generation and and keep our um, you know our community really strong and keep providing that really high level skilled workforce around the world that we do and I think ENA is really well positioned to provide great leadership in this space. We always, we always, I always say we have to be cautious about complaining and things because we always, I always say I have the best job in the world. And oh my God, we have to spread it out. It's amazing to be an emergency nurse. Ah, and you know, one of the things I always say, where I, I hate the term, I've got to have work-life balance. I hate it. Mm -hmm. Because the connotation is that work is negative and life is positive. I love my job. Yes, I love right. being an emergency nurse. So you know what? I can love my work and love my home life as well how do I find the balance is really important but we should stop talking about having work-life balance that work is negative in our world and life is the only positive thing so we have to change the language and yes. how we start referring to what we do every day because if you love what you do you'll get up every morning with the energy to do it I never go with a with a bad mood tomorrow work. but that days I think oh I would have loved to stay home but I'm at work I'm um, really <laughs> happy my husband and I used to work together. He used to work in security and we have lots of funny jokes about what used to go on in the ED. But, um, you know, he used to always say to me, you are so different at work 
than sometimes what I see at home. <laughs> and it's because when I go to work, you know, I said in the board meeting the other day, I look for things that fill my cup. Right. Work fills my cup. I love going to work. So I, 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 I openly admit I'm quite different at work than what I am at home. I'm, I'm really quiet at home and really quite reserved and, you know, maybe on the side of being introverted. But as soon as I get my scrubs on or I have to talk about emergency or emergency <laughs> nurses, oh, my gosh, like I'm such an extrovert. Dan, see, you need to shut me up now. <laughs> you know, I will not stop talking. <laughs> well, the passion, that's the thing that really stands out, and that's why it's great to have the two together to talk about it because when you love what you do, mm-hmm. the expression is you'll never work a day in your life. No. But I'm going to boil it down to the most simplest of ways to show commitment and passion, how much you love doing this. Vanessa, how many hours did it take for you to get from Melbourne to Chicago for the board meeting? Uh, so it's 26 hours total travel time with 19 hours in the air. And you, for you? Uh, 70 hours with 30 hours in the air. So if that doesn't tell you how much... But the hardest part was getting from O'Hare to... <laughs> <laughs> for those that aren't in the Chicago area, yeah, we are the worst congested uh, highway system uh, in the country, so we're number one. That's That recently came out, and... Um, with no traffic, with nothing going on from O'Hare Airport to the ENA headquarters in Schaumburg should only take 15 minutes. Yeah. It never takes 15 yeah. minutes because there's always traffic. Yeah. So, But thank you for your commitment to the travel part because that really you know, does exemplify what you're both saying about your commitment and your love for, for emergency nursing and for caring for patients. And I don't think there's much more that you can ask for out of two leaders for, for the organization. So. Um, Yoop, Vanessa, thank you so much for being a part of the, the podcast today and, and for being here in, at ENA headquarters this week. No problem. Thanks for having us. Great. We love it. That'll do it for this episode of the ENA podcast. And uh, again, a, a lot of appreciation. And it's early here. They're taking photos. They took a little bit of time out of their day before uh, some more meetings uh, to, to jump on the podcast. We all agreed it would be easier than one of the three of us having to be on at two in the morning on Zoom if we were going to try to do this remotely. So. Uh, but I appreciate that. And I appreciate everybody for listening to the ENA podcast. And we look forward to you joining us for, we've got one more episode for 2021. So I look forward to you joining us for that episode coming up soon. So until next time, thank you for listening. Bye.